Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Matt Harmon of Yahoo Fantasy, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Everything, Yahoo Video, <laughs> Yahoo Audio, probably, <laughs> all the different Yahoo platforms. Now, you may know Matt as the, the, the creator of Reception Perception, and he I've talked to him before when I had a, on a previous podcast and other places, and it really fits into the niche of what I, what I like to talk to here because it's like a, the nexus of some analytics by, by really charting and tracking and being diligent and responsible and uh, uh, analytical about the way you're looking at, at, at different statistics, but doing it from a film perspective. So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining me because we're going to talk about the wide receiver class, which I think is a pretty big deal this offseason, the free agents wide receiver class of 2021 has a couple of Matt's favorites in here. And uh, I'm assuming, should we jump straight to talking about Curtis Samuel breakout or, or do you want to wait for that? <laughs> I mean, he was already what, like, uh, you know, I, I tweeted this out before the season, you know, guys in reception perception history that have hit like a certain threshold, a certain percentile. And like the very few guys that have reached the, a, you know, where he, where the strategy he's been at, at previously, you like over the 90th, it was basically like him and Calvin Ridley were the only guys that hadn't recorded a thousand yard season yet that had hit that threshold in the entire six, now seven years of, of reception perception data. I'm like, well, he had a thousand total yards this season. Do I get to count that? Uh, <laughs> do I get to count that as a win? Do I get to take, a victory lap based on some of his rushing rushing usage it's hard to say but yeah thanks for having me on kevin i'm, I'm excited about the, this group I've been, like i told you before we started recording i'm geeked about this free agent group it's a, lo- a lot of fun guys even you know beyond some of the ones that are like my clear-cut favorite there's going to be a lot of options for teams in need yeah so the, the thing about free agency for the wide receiver position is if you look back on some previous years i was just glancing back to see what sort of markets there were in the past, because it was at least my impression that good wide receivers don't hit the market that often. And that seems to be the case. If you look at, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the guys actually made it without getting re-upped or without having the franchise tag, the best receiver in 2020 might've been Emmanuel Sanders, you know, a 30 something year old Emmanuel Sanders. If you look back to 2019, it might've been a 31 year old golden Tate was, was the best guy there. Um, and then going back even further, uh, um, we look at Allen Robinson back a few years ago, and he's going to be part of this class and sign that three-year deal with, with uh, the Bears. So we'll, we'll have a chance to, to go over all of that for them first. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a couple of news items that come through for the week before we get into all the, the, the different receiver talk. J.J. Uh, Watt was released by the Texans. I'm sure everyone saw that. He has been... You know, one of the most productive players, and if you look at a stretch as far as a peak of a few years, I think everyone is over the top talking about Aaron Donald. I don't know if social media and everything was around at the same sort of peak level. Maybe if he played for a team that was a little bit (laughs) more successful on a team basis than the Texans and had a bigger fan base as an expansion team than the Texans. Uh, You know, we'd probably be talking about him at an even higher level than we were talking about Aaron Donald back then. Do you have any opinion, Matt, as far as how much juice this guy has left at this point because he's had injury problems. He's entering his thirties. He wasn't traded. Was was that a shock mm-hmm. to you that he wasn't, they weren't able to get at least something for him. I do think that was a little bit of a surprise. I think that also might've been sort of an organization to uh, player respect thing, because at this point, like the Texans have net negative PR, like good PR left, you know, they, they're in such just a cultural mess, everything like that. I wonder if like being able to, the last thing they wanted to have was JJ, like publicly say on his way out, I didn't want this. I think having, 
him go out there and say, you know, this is a, an agreement that we came to, like even before the whole Deshaun Watson situation, you know, where he asks to be traded and, and all that stuff that went on, you know, when they hired Nick Casario, I, I said going into this offseason, whoever the next GM for the Texans was going to be, they were going to face a really, really difficult problem, which is we already have, even before the Watson stuff, have bad PR. There's already this weird Jack Easterby stuff going on. We just flipped DeAndre Hopkins for a running back in a second-round pick in the previous offseason. We're still clearly a mess. Uh, hey, whoever your next GM is, the first thing they're going to have to do is to cut one of the most well-liked, iconic players in franchise history. Uh, that was going to be a pretty tough look. Uh, or even trade that guy was going to be a tough thing to do unless J.J. got on board. So I think J.J. going out there and actually you know, announcing it via video on his own social media page was kind of an important thing. And now I think that you know, J.J. is not at the peak of what he was. He's not at the height of his playing career, obviously. And you're right to mention that, you know, maybe if, if social media was as big as it was during his prime, we would probably be talking about him in the same area. And maybe we already do talk about him in the same breath as, as Aaron Donald. Cause not only does he have the resume and like the dominant individual play on his history, he also has highlight real moments you know those the like jj swat that was a thing for a long time he'd bat those balls down he you know he'd run back touchdowns against andy dalton seemingly every year in the playoffs on that saturday game that was always tough to watch between the texans and the bengals that was like an annual nfl tradition so he had those iconic moments too he's not that player anymore but i think he's still really good i also think it's a good it's a good conversation to have about where you would line him up what type of system would you play him? would you want to play him more inside than on the edge i think you probably do at this point uh and there's also so many te- i think every team will probably at least make a minor exploration into the idea of adding Watt because he's still a very good player. Then it's going to just kind of come down to what is he like? He clearly probably wants to chase a ring at this point, add that to his legacy, but there's also two really good, I would call them feel good options for JJ Watt, where it's like, does he go back home to Wisconsin and the green Bay Packers? Does he go to play with his brothers in Pittsburgh? Those options are probably realistic and on the table, but they might not be the most likely teams to make it happen from a cap perspective. Yeah, yeah. And then the the Steelers, there's some talk with Ben Roethlisberger today, uh, maybe some jockeying. I don't know if they actually don't want Roethlisberger back, but Kevin Colbert, their GM, said that (laughs) he gave one of these like, you know, he's the he's on our team, I guess. (laughs) Like it was was basically we have him under contract. He has a forty one million dollar cap hit next year. Um, I looked it up if they cut not not if they cut him, but if if he retires, which is presumably would be the, the route that he would go. Um, I think it's a $19 million cap saved, something like that. So it's a pretty pretty big deal if they want to bring someone else in. I mean, they're already way over the cap, so you're right that there are some definite, definite issues as far as coming there. Now, I was thinking generally, I wasn't as surprised when I thought about it, the fact that they didn't get any trade compensation, because as you're saying, if J.J. Watt decided he wanted to go to Team X... Um, he's making $17 million a year. So there's probably going to be some sort of uh, restructure on his contract anyway. So he kind of has to yeah. agree to it in a way of where he was going to go. And if he says, I'm going to go to Team X, and they said, well, no, we're going to send you to Team Y, once that leaks and gets out, you know, they're getting buried for a fourth-round pick or something like that. It just exactly. probably isn't. Not worth isn't it. The, you know, the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze on, on, on something like that when, when it comes to the Texans. So I wasn't surprised there. Uh, now, the inside-outside thing, that thing, that's pretty interesting. Sam Monson, uh, good old PFF underscore Sam, wrote an article where he was advocating for Watt to go back and play more 
on the inside. He's graded better there recently. He's been playing well there. My, my question when I'm looking at this, though, is I'm not sure if he wants to play on the inside because, mm-hmm. you know, he started off, it looks like, throughout his career. His first couple of years, he played entirely on the inside. Then, although he was in this 3-4 system, so it's not like a, uh, playing on the, on the edge on a 4-3, but then he kind of moved further and further, and then last year he had about 150 snaps uh, on the, on what we would classify as the interior, and then 856 on the outside. So he was spending the vast, vast majority out there. Um, maybe that's also a consideration, that he would want to go to somewhere where he could stay stay on the outside if he's going to play. Uh, there, It might just be, at this point of his career, a little bit less wear and tear, potentially, uh, yeah. in, in that position. He could play more of a role where he's going to you be in there every third down and, and rushing the passer, but maybe take off some of the more of the grind of the grind of the position. So that, that would be that would be an interesting turning point there is where can he go where he can do that and be on the outside. And that's why the Browns, I know that name has come up, mm-hmm. seems interesting to me with Olivia Vernon leaving. He can play alongside Miles Garrett. He that seems like a dream place to go where not only is a team that maybe isn't a Super Bowl favorite, but can compete, but he can start to get those numbers back and maybe get a little bit of that juice back as far as uh, getting those sack totals up playing alongside Miles Garrett. Yeah, the Packers one is interesting if he did want True. to play more on the inside because they have to th- – and they obviously have to make things work from a salary cap perspective. Like many teams, they're going to have to make tough choices this year. Although, again, I feel like J.J. probably is not going to prioritize money in this move, but I, I have no idea, right? I'm just guessing at that. I, I imagine that he's, you know, basically not, he's not in, not in Houston anymore. Cause he was, he was very upfront about, I, I'm not here for a rebuild type of thing. That's not what I want to be about at this point in my career. So you'd think he would go ring chasing over cash chasing, but there's always a bit of give and take there. The Packers do theoretically have Preston Smith and Zedaria Smith. They're not coming off quite the same year that they had in 2019, but they are two effective edge rushers. You could put him inside Rashawn Gary popped a little bit for them last year as well. Uh, they have Kenny Clark there. So there's, a lot of options. Like I said, I think every team will make an exploratory call for, for JJ Watt and talk about where do we want to deploy him? I wouldn't imagine he's going to be, you know, an 80% snap guy at this point in his career. Anyways, you'd probably want to deploy him in some sort of rotation, Uh, but it's really fascinating. And it is, you know, he is one of the legendary players in the NFL. We also have to say that, he might have still been having that Aaron Donald type streak if he didn't have all of these injuries pop up. Like, I actually think it's kind of incredible that he's bounced back to the point over the last couple of years where he is a really high quality starter. Cause for a while there it was just, you know, it was, it was the back, it was this, it was this, it was that, um, you know, one of my sayings uh, in that I, I cop from Eric Stoner, a uh, longtime football Twitter guy, not, not on the internet anymore. I don't think good for him, by the way, um, is nobody living a better no life. One, Let it be living a better yeah, right. life now. Sounds nice. Uh, Nobody used to have a bad back. Like once you have a bad back, you got a bad back. And if anybody is uh, like me, finally creeping into their 30s, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It starts to happen. It's a rough life. Um, So I I think it's actually incredible that JJ has, you know, bounced back to be this type of player at this point because he did look for a while. They're like, oh, man, injuries might just really completely rob him of the rest of his career. Yeah, yeah, no, he's definitely bounced back. I, I think I agree with you as far as him maybe not looking to push too far on the salary, although I don't know if I know why that's the case, why everyone believes that about him, other than he maybe has this reputation with um, being a, you know, a such an yeah. icon and, and a team player. But if, I, what was interesting about him, though, is 
he hasn't really made nearly as much money as he could have. He signed a deal that was a long-term deal. I don't think he ever made more than $14.5 million, something like that. It was his cap hit in any season. His cap hit was never higher than 9.5%. You know, for instance, uh, Donald was at 12.2% last year. He's going to be 15% of the cap this year. So he really never reached that stratosphere. So, you know, maybe a little money doesn't hurt, right? So if he, if, as long as he has right. multiple bidders, that could be a turning point where he's looking uh, – that could be like the deciding factor between Cleveland, who has a lot of money to spend, or someone like Green Bay or Pittsburgh to go play with his brothers or, or whatever it, it may end up being there. All right, so let's uh, – like I said, there's a Ben Roethlisberger talk, but maybe we can get into that as part of talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, and I'll just preview quickly the, the free agents this year for wide receivers – it's really some top, top names here. Uh, for our free agency rankings, which we have right now, we have a top 100 rankings. We have some, pretty, some guys pretty high up. We have Chris Godwin as our second highest free agent ranking overall, and that means only above him we have his Dak Prescott, but he's the first of any wide receiver. And then Allen Robinson's third, and Kenny Galladay is fourth. So we have those guys mm. right right up at the top, uh, followed not too far back by 11th Will Fuller, and then 24th Juju Smith-Schuster, 25th Corey Davis. And then we start to get in some other guys, some older guys like Antonio Brown, T.Y. Hilton, uh, some potential breakout guys like Curtis Samuel we mentioned earlier. And I, I think there's a few different ways to look at this. Let's start with the guys at the top, because I think comparing Godwin and Robinson, although I know this would be like choosing between children for you, um, <laughs> yeah, thinking right. about how, how you're going to assess these guys, would you put Godwin at, above Robinson in some sort of hypothetical pecking order? Um, and if so, how much does, does age or wear and tear or something like that have to have to do with it being four years in the league for him versus we're coming off his seventh year for Allen Robinson. Although Allen Robinson's very young. He was very young when he, yeah, when, he's when young. he entered. So he's not, he's not an old guy at this point. I think he's uh 27 or something like that. Yeah. Right. He, he, unlike me is not pushing 30. So, <laughs> um, so I, I think that when you look at these two guys in a, like just player to player, I would take Robinson over Godwin, but like you mentioned with the age part is really interesting because Godwin really feels like he's just now finally growing into his paws. You wonder um, what he could look like in three to four years uh, when he actually is Robinson's age. Cause he's not even 25 yet as Chris Godwin. So he's an extremely young player as well. And yeah, again, if you're looking at just which one right now for the next two years, I would take Allen Robinson over Chris Godwin. Cause I think, Robinson has proven that he can be the center of a team's passing universe now with two teams. And I also think that Robinson has developed from, you know, he came into the league, you know, when he first started popping in reception perception, he was a guy that was really good down the field, was a great contested catch receiver, but he's now developed to where the last two years he's been right up there among the top five scores. You know, I've just started charting for, um, 2020 the 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 season that we just had luckily uh prioritized these free agents because it is such an interesting nice. group and i think there's going to be so much to talk about so i've gotten through a handful of the guys already that we're going to talk about today uh and uh, alan robinson's one of them so i don't know exactly how the the entire scores will will play out for 2020 when comparing everybody that just played but based on reception perception history i would say that where robinson finished he's going to be in that you know 96th plus percentile range you know one of the top five 
five scores of the past two seasons. Um, Robinson has done that now for back-to-back years. I think he's developed into what I would say is an elite number one alpha wide receiver. So the fact that he has that on his track record, I think that he is the better of the two players right now, but God, it is close because, you know, Godwin is an unbelievable player. Like, you know, he he's up there now at this point where he's starting to push that range where Robinson is from a success rate versus man coverage standpoint from press. And we know that he doesn't line up on the outside as much of a guy as a guy like Robinson, because, you know, they have Mike Evans, Bruce Arians loves to put him in that Larry Fitzgerald role, but I think you could play Godwin at X. I think you could play him at flanker at slot, whatever. You know, they do some cool stuff in Tampa Bay where they'll leak him out of the backfield. Like you don't see any wide receiver except Chris Godwin, like leak out of the, the gaps of the offensive line, you know, when they run the play action off duo and everything like that. And there's just so no, I don't think there's any other receiver in the NFL that really does that at the level that Godwin does. He's a great blocker. I think, think no matter you know there are some teams that probably won't be interested in Robinson because they've got you know Devontae Adams already or something like that you know they already have an alpha number one do you really need two of those guys in order to be a Super Bowl winning team I I don't know the answer to that question but I think every single team will want to put a call into Chris Godwin if he hits the market I also think he's the most likely of these guys to get tagged and retained in Tampa but it's no lock because They've got a lot of guys that are potential tag candidates too. They've got Levante David, Shaq Barrett, and Chris Godwin for Tampa Bay. So you could see both of these guys on the market. I think every single team will be interested at the very least in giving a call to Godwin because he's so young. He's on the upswing of his career. And I think he can, I don't think he, uh, Kevin, I don't think he has a weakness. I don't think there's one thing that I can look at Chris Godwin. You know, when you look at him in reception perception, when you watch him play, when you look at the trajectory that he's on, I don't think you can look at one thing and be like, man, he can't really do that. I think he can do everything to an extremely well level. And then obviously some things at an elite level. Yeah. I think for, for Godwin, maybe this is something that you can give me some insight into with your, with your charting and how it may differ from how we are looking at uh, the receiver position. I mean, I think we, we grade, maybe it's a little bit different methodology where we're heavily, based on when someone is targeted versus when they're not 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 weighing in their performance when they're not targeted or their separation yeah. things like that when they're not targeted as, as much which you know that has it helps helps us get through a lot of receivers quickly that way but it maybe doesn't yeah. have a lot of the <laughs> of, of the outside perspective on how how someone is doing in like in, in totality but the the numbers for Godwin the one thing that 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 points out and I think this is the thing that everyone's going to going to think about is the outside inside thing and you know he hasn't been he's not Cole Beasley right so he's he but he right. still is playing a lot of his snaps in the slot and it's not just that he's played a lot in the slot in the slot but from our numbers he's been much more efficient whether you're looking at grades where i think he's been about 96 in his pff grade from the inside only around 78 from the outside um he's he has a, his yards per route run or like off the charts from from mm-hmm. from uh, the slot and they're much they're good but they're they're much lower on the outside and even his yards per reception is higher on in the slot which is a little bit strange because it's different you yeah. figure putting someone in the slot what you're really doing there is you're, you're probably increasing your catch rate and things like that and, and you would get that efficiency you would get that yards per target or yards per route run efficiency at the same level but at a lower mm-hmm. yards per reception and a higher catch rate so he's he's flipped it and he's actually been more effective um, as far as the yards per reception on the outside too, so are that would be the question because when we're talking about spending and when, when it comes to these these guys, 
you know, this is going to be probably a $20 million plus a year player. I mean, Amari Cooper, yep. who has a lot of flaws, people were surprised maybe that he only signed for $20 million last year. Um, Julio Jones is what is over $20 million now in his, his most recent extension. Uh, Michael Thomas is over $20 million. So this is going to be $20-something million. So could teams potentially be dissuaded from signing him because if they're not rock-solid, sure, he can be that number one guy – can you afford to spend 20-something million on a receiver that you're going to say, oh, yeah, well, we want to have this other receiving piece also? Or we yeah, need I think this it's other a receiving fair... piece. No, I think it's a fair point. Uh, obviously, like you said, the numbers from you know just the raw statistics and then everything that PFF does, it would show that that he is more productive on the inside than in, on the slot. I mean, he's in more productive inside than he is outside. And, and that's fair. I, I would say that, like, I, you know, it bears out in my charting that he could definitely beat press. He can definitely beat man coverage at an extremely high level. Obviously, he's not doing it. And I think since I started incorporating, like, how often guys face press or how often guys face zone has actually improved my not not improved the data, but improved my use and interpretation of the data a lot. And that's something that I've been doing more. You know, it wasn't anything more difficult than just uh, adding a few more columns to the spreadsheet, right? There were numbers that I was already collecting, but just putting more context to it. You know, there's a big difference between what Chris Godwin is doing, you know, and how often he faces press and man than a guy like Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay, or, you know, even Will Fuller, who we can talk about later. But at the same time, I think that the limited glimpses, he's not a guy like Chris Godwin where, you know, I I think when I look at Chris Godwin, I think he can play anywhere because of how often or not, how well he does beat man and press. When I look at a guy like Juju, they might play a similar position, how often they face man and press because of where they line up. I don't think Juju can be that guy. I think Chris Godwin, if given the opportunity, can be that guy. But it would also be if I'm a team that's going to spend 20 plus you know, million dollars on Chris Godwin per year, I'm probably not taking him out of that position too often, right? I, I definitely think that you can find outside receiver help. This is also yet another really good draft class. I think the wide receiver position, and it's interesting to talk about this when we think about these big ticket free agents in this upcoming market, the position is totally stacked. Every team is dripping with wide receiver talent, you know, for the most part, there are some obvious exceptions, but the last three draft classes, 2020 was built up to be really good. And it was really good, but 2018 and 2019, I think produced much better quality players than they were, than it was expected to do, especially 2019. You know, 2019 is like the stars of today and tomorrow came from that class when you look at the wide receiver position. So I think you can find outside receivers at any point in the draft. Like if you're a team that is looking to bring in Chris Godwin, you're probably going to leave him in that um, position because as you said, it's not even just he's this bunny hop slot receiver. He's like a downfield win all over the place from the inside. And I, I would think it would be foolish to, like he can play outside, he could play X receiver, but it would probably be foolish to move him out of this position where he's just become an absolute weapon, you know, not just an asset from the slot, but a weapon from the slot. Yeah, yeah. I think the t- offenses are much more creative now. I don't think that everyone's necessarily going to be stuck in this mode of having to, you know, we, we have our X receiver, we pay him X number of dollars, we put him on the outside all the time, and then that's how we're going to build. So hopefully teams can can look around that. Now, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the depth and the infusion of talent on in the wide receiver position because I can remember back in the uh, back in the olden days, uh, not, not not too long ago, like when Will Fuller actually came into the league or some other guys came into the league before that. I mean, there's some rough patches in in, in mm-hmm. some of these in some of these years. I mean, you had 
um, let's say, you know, we had drafts where we had Corey Coleman, Laquan Treadwell, uh, Josh Doxson, and other guys. That was a tough year. Yeah, where it was just it was just bang, bang, bang. There's even before that, if you think about it, we had the 2014 class, so that was the. Mm -hmm. But even Sammy Watkins has a necessary, and he was a guy that they traded up and gave a ton for. But then you had Evans, you had Cooks, you had uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Believe it or not, have that great that great uh, rookie year. Um, Allen Robinson and so on and so forth, (laughs) and so on and so forth. But um, but after that, you know, it's been it's been tough. You know, Amari Cooper came in. He's been he's been great. He's been solid, but maybe not a superstar sort of talent. You had Kevin White and Devontae Parker and Brashad Perryman all on that draft. Um, yeah, you're right. there have been a lot of misses. It almost became this, you know, rule. Hey, maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't take a wide receiver in the first round because so many of them yeah. have busted. And now it's it's flipping all back around the other way. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're seeing some of these guys hit the market as i mentioned before normally they don't so this is another thing to think about is there any concern with a player like alan robinson just forget what we know about him forget what we think about him but the fact that this would be a second team that would have let him hit the market and go out where that typically doesn't happen and typically receivers do not thrive on a new team although last year we saw Diggs, we saw deandre hopkins we saw robbie anderson so that was it kind of flipped the, that narrative on its head um, is there any concern with Alan Robinson to say, why aren't teams retaining this guy? Yeah, I think first let's circle back to the point that we were making about the, the draft classes prior to yeah. 2018 and 2019, 2016, specifically in 2017, you know, there were all of those first round whiffs, you know, yeah. uh, 2016, especially was completely painful that was a tough year but Michael Thomas came from that draft class Tyreek Hill special exception because of his situation also came from that draft class Tyler Boyd Sterling Shepard and even Will Fuller you know those were guys Will Fuller's the only one of those that was a first round pick all those other guys you know Boyd and Shepard they're pretty good players um, but they're sort of role guys they were they were not first round picks then in 2017 <clears throat> excuse me, like that was another year where Corey Davis is now popping back up on the scene, but you know, Mike Williams, he's a role player. I think Mike Williams is, is a good player, but he's certainly not to the level where he was drafted. Same with Corey Davis really. And then obviously John Ross, that was a tough year for first round wide receivers, but Juju, the aforementioned Chris Godwin, Cooper cup, um, you know, Curtis Samuel, Kenny Galladay, those guys all came. So it's, it's really been, that second wave beyond the first round that's really given us the, the the guys who were solid players from those two classes in 2016 and 2017. So I think we, I think it's more of a question. Will teams start to look at the draft and even, you know, looking at players that are good coming out this year, like Jamar chase or Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, like how good are these guys? Are they worth spending first round capital on when we've confined receivers later. I mean, you could do this with every position and I, I get that, but because there's such a quality of veteran free agents, there's such a quality, you know, even in this class, I think there's good depth and it's just been shown that you can find receivers and get plug them in immediately. I think that's where we'll start to see teams, you know, question like, sure, we can go after a veteran proven player, but do we want to make the same sort of investment from a draft capital standpoint? I do think that conversation is going to be had in a lot of war rooms this year. Now with Robinson specifically, I think 
the, the Jaguars let him hit the market because he was coming off an injury and we just didn't know what he was going to look like. Um, I think Jacksonville regrets that decision. I actually think there's a non-zero percent chance that Jacksonville might try to entice him back down there this, this offseason. They have the and cap space, definitely. They, yeah. have the, they have the cap space. You would think that they're going to have a good quarterback. I also think Robinson, I, I think he's – I, I know he's really bothered about the about leaving the Bears because he likes Chicago, he likes the team, but he feels irritated that they haven't given him an extension at this point, um, that they really haven't talked sep- sep- since September. And I do think he really wants to play with a high-quality quarterback. And I don't think the Bears want to let him hit the market either. You know, I've seen that they're talking about potentially tagging and trading him, um, just trying to recoup some of those assets. We'll see if they can pull that off. That's a tough uh, needle to thread there, but yeah, I, I'm not too concerned that two teams have let him hit the market because I think they're two teams that are not very well run, <laughs> and I think they're making it like a mistake letting the player hit the market. Because uh, and and it's interesting, like we look back at this past year, you know, a lot of my analysis going into the season with guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs, because I've I'm you know Diggs is not among these guys uh, this this year with the free agency group, but he is right up there in terms of like the reception perception um, fan club. You know he gets a penthouse suite uh, in the hotel uh, whenever he wants to come by and stay. So like he's up there among those guys. I would have put him in the pantheon of receivers like DeAndre Hopkins. I thought he was that good before he got to Buffalo. Uh, my point going into last year was. Yeah, I know the history of receivers changing teams is not very good, but we haven't seen very many teams uh, acquire guys like DeAndre Hopkins or Stephon Diggs in the middle of their prime. The only really recent example that we would have had of that is Odell Beckham, and you could argue whether he was still at that level going. He wasn't coming off that type of year. Um, he wasn't. He, he wasn't at that peak, like from a production and health perspective. But he was certainly at that talent level. You would also, I think, Antonio Brown was still in his prime when he went to Oakland. But there was a lot going else going on there. So we really hadn't seen it like play out cleanly. Uh, obviously, with two guys that are again, elite talent, top end, number one wide receivers like Hopkins and Diggs. They made it work on their new team. Um, and I do think Robinson is at that level from an individual player standpoint. So I would bet on him unless he unless he just chases a bag and goes to another team that doesn't have a good quarterback, I would bet on him um, transitioning really well to whatever team he goes on next. And, and there's a non-zero percent chance he's just back in Chicago too. Um, I, I would feel that's unlikely, but it's a non-zero percent chance. Yeah, you know, there's the whole thing going on with Carson Wentz, right? So the Bears are mentioned very often for him. So it's a weird situation where if they bring in Wentz, they're going to have this extra cap that they're going to have to spend on him. Yet letting Allen Robinson go is probably not something that would be a positive in your bringing in this new franchise quarterback who you want to be the guy also, because then you're going to bring him in and then not have anyone for him to, to throw to. So I don't know how they would have to rejigger some things elsewhere to, to make that happen, but maybe they can. And they would immediately you, 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 be one of the worst skill position groups yeah. in the league. Um, I, I w- this is probably going to go down and like my one biggest failure in reception perception. Uh, but like, I was a big Anthony Miller guy coming into this year. I'm going to guess he's that's probably not going to happen. Um, I can do yeah. the thing where it's like, well, you know, maybe his next team, yada, yada. But I, I would, I would doubt like when we talked about guys hitting certain thresholds at the beginning of the podcast, he's going to be, I think among the guys that you look at that hit this threshold in their career and then probably never ended up doing anything. Miller might be one of them. Mooney. He's interesting. He flashed a little bit last year, but like, 
then the depth chart is bare. You know, their tight end room, uh, Cole Komet, maybe he emerges as a really good player, but they're, they would be in trouble. Like, then Carson Wentz is looking at the same thing that he just left, which is a bad offensive line and a bad skill position group, but I guess um, his feelings might be less hurt. I don't know. It doesn't feel very attractive to me. Yeah, no, definitely not. It's weird with Miller. I mean, in your, I mean, in, in any analyst defense when it comes to these things is – for me, he seems like a guy, like you mentioned, who looked pretty good, kind of hit this mark, looked like he had it, and then kind of regressed. It's tough. It's always difficult if you're an analyst to say you can't like predict who is going to be, in lack of a better term, like a head case in some sort of ways, or who's not yeah. gonna is who's not gonna be able to put in the work and really take themselves to the next level versus where they particularly are. I mean, it's just a point in time analysis that you're doing, and if you're not like talking to these guys and interviewing them, and even if you are, who knows if you can you can determine those sorts of things. Uh, but it's funny yeah. when you mention Hopkins and Diggs because. And then with the, with the draft picks, like last year's draft, you know, Ruggs went twelve, but you had Judy, you had Jefferson, you had others, and it was seen as being this excellent, excellent draft class. CD Lamb, of course, um, but there was no top ten picks in that one, where we had John Ross, Corey Davis, and Mike Williams going uh, strangely before in other in other drafts. And even when Hopkins and Diggs were being traded, I mean, Hopkins was traded for a second round pick. I mean, and David Johnson. I, I, I mean, if you want to, yeah, you yeah, want to can't put forget David Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> and then Diggs was traded for a first – I mean, it was a first-round pick, but it wasn't that high of a first-round pick. And for a right. player of that level, still seemed a little bit light as far as the compensation. Mm-hmm. On a great contract, too. On a great second second contract yeah. going forward. So maybe there is just a devaluation of the position or an understanding that – Maybe you know we're not very good at rank ordering these guys, and sometimes those second round and picks can end up hitting, and they're just so dirt cheap as far as the contract you can get on those guys. So maybe that plays into the decision making that some teams are making are are doing with these trades and other things. Yeah, and so many of these guys too. It comes down to fit with the team, fit with the quarterback, and deployment too. You know, we're we're going to talk about Juju in a bit, and like he's a guy that I think if he had gone to a team. Like some dumb team that looked at him as, well, he's like 6'2", 220. He's got the size. He uh, won contested catches in college. Let's throw him out there as our X receiver. I think he would have failed. And I and I think same thing with a guy like Cooper Cup. Like if he had gone to almost any other system that wasn't Sean McVay, I don't think they would have known what to do with him because he's not a true separator. Uh, he's like a crisp route runner against zone, but he can't get open versus press. He can't get open versus man. Almost never faces those coverages with Sean McVay uh, the way he has designed that very specific role for him. So like, yeah, it, a lot of it, maybe if Mike Williams had gone to a different team, Corey Davis, uh, um, they, they could have popped differently things could have gone differently maybe for a Laquan Treadwell or a Josh Doxson probably not but like there's always that factor in it that a lot of it I think the Steelers are so good at wide receiver it's not that I don't think the Steelers have some skeleton key to scouting wide receivers coming out of college because it's really hard to scout wide receivers coming out of college I think they're really smart about coaching and usage and deployment. I think they've crafted really good roles for all of the guys that have come through and succeeded there. Okay, well let's let's look at the last of at least by our rankings. Kenny Galladay would be in the top tier with those other two. I, I don't know if I quite quite have him there, um, but Galladay is is someone who profiles as the you know prototype, more of the old school prototype X X receiver. What do you think about him, and would you put him into that category with with a Robinson, uh, with a Godwin? Because not that he's there, you know, he's not there, 
but you could view him, you could view, you know, the size, the strength, the athleticism. Um, maybe he could, over the next two years, play at a higher level than those guys. Like, it's within the range of uh, the realm of possibility. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I would not put him there right now. Like, I would, I think there's a tier gap between Godwin and Robinson and then Galladay as clearly the third best of right. the rest of the guys, but. I think there's a tier gap. Like there's a separation because I think Godwin and Robinson, you know, and, and Robinson over Godwin for me, uh, I think they're proven high end number one receivers. Like you can build the passing game around them. Galladay is interesting. Cause you know, coming into the league, he was very similar to Allen Robinson where he was a downfield guy, a contested catch threat, but I thought he got better every single year. And, you know, it's one thing when we talk about reception perception, these metrics are pretty stable. Once guys get into the league and they establish who they are, there's not a ton of movement. You know, you're, you're looking at maybe less than 8% or eight percentage point movements, uh, you know, improvements or decline until they start to get to a certain age threshold and they start to fall off. Then there could be a precipitous drop, you know, your Des Bryant's of the world, um, that type of player. So that's, and I know we've talked about this before uh, with guys like AJ green, when they start to decline um, there is some of that, but like once they're established pros, they're pretty much going to profile year in year out the same in reception perception. But with a guy like Godwin, he has, I mean, excuse me, with Galladay, he's made those incremental jumps uh, every season, you know, not again, not massive jumps, but that steady upward trajectory where he goes from being a really big time downfield threat, contested catch guy to, you know, a pretty solid separator in his second season to in 2019, I think becoming right on that fringe of a solid number one receiver starting to separate at an acceptable level. You know, he's definitely a stronger contested catch guy, but I watch Kenny Galladay and I think he can run routes well enough to get open to a reasonable level for a player of his skill set. However, all that positive momentum just kind of got slammed this past year with all of the injuries and, you know, whatever else was going on in Detroit. So I think it's an unknown whether he can truly make that jump to that high end alpha receiver. It, like you said, it's within the range of possibilities, but I would put that tear gap between those uh, two guys and Galladay. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, and I think, too, from a different perspective than what we talked about with Godwin, but how much do you see Galladay as potentially being a complementary receiver uh, on the other end of the spectrum, right? Maybe a guy that you know he can do the stuff where he's kind of clearing out and he's going deep and he's doing some contested catches. There's maybe a little bit more concern about the rounded out uh, all the rest of his game. So 
do you think a complimentary role may be more well-suited for him also? Probably. I think there's very few receivers in the league that can be the Robinson, Devontae Adams, you know, Stefan Diggs type of players where they can do everything. They check every single box and, and you can, you can use them anywhere, deploy them anywhere, ask them to do anything and they can separate at all levels. There's not a large collection of those guys. And I would not put Kenny Galladay in that group. So if you're a team that's looking for primarily a vertical player, if you run a downfield passing game, you can also scheme guys up to get them open on free releases. We know whether it's slants, crossers across the middle of the field, I think Galladay would be a huge, huge get for a lot of teams, but you certainly have to ask that question and keep in mind, you know, you mentioned Amari Cooper. He's a guy that got paid last year and I don't view him in that same tier of guys with Diggs and Robinson. Uh, I would put him more closer to that Kenny Galladay range. So maybe that means I, I wouldn't want to pay Kenny Galladay, you know, 20 plus million dollars a year. Uh, but I, I think that that tier drop and tier uh, gap definitely exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know. My, my initial thought would be that he would be the most likely of the three to hit the market being that they're kind of going through some yes. sort of re- rebuild in Detroit, but you never know. I mean, maybe they're looking to, to, to go get a rookie quarterback and then they'll want to bring him back on the franchise tag or do whatever else. So that, that, that could be a possibility, but he, no, they got Jared Goff, you know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. they got, they got Goff. They're going to throw Goff out there to the, to the wolves. It seems like, and see what ends up happening Same. this season. But yeah, yeah. So that that'll be that'll be interesting. So okay. So th- we have again, according to our rankings, there this is where the gap would be. But I wouldn't necessarily think that there's that big of a gap between these guys when we have Will Fuller coming in next. Now a, a little bit of background on Fuller. Of course, we have the injury history. Uh, he hadn't played a full season, and he didn't again this year. Although uh, he had the PED uh, suspension, I mean, he was a little nicked up too. He wasn't fully healthy all, all the time this season. Yeah. So he, he had two games off at the end of the year. I believe he still has another four that he's going to have to sit out I think to it's start just one. the next season. Oh, is it just one? Okay. I, for some reason, yeah, I thought it was a six-game suspension. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was a six-game suspension, but it happened like right after um, – I think the last game he played was Thanksgiving. So I think he served five of the six, but I could. Okay, I, okay. Think it's, I think it's only one. It's either one or two. So it's not like a huge – you're going to sign this guy and you're going to be missing him for half the season or a quarter of the season, but it's, it's a couple of chunks. Right. So, okay. So you're, you're missing some time, regardless, you're going to miss, you're, you're going to miss some time. Oh, you're right. You're right. I, I was looking at the wrong season here when I saw 14 games played, it was only, uh, it was only 11 games played. So yeah. So he just has the one. So what happens when you miss missed... games every year, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just has just has the one here. And, but this was, I mean, a breakout. What, what's a breakout? I don't know what a breakout is. He's kind of been break. He's, he's, he's been at a pretty good level whenever he's been healthy and he's been yeah. playing before, but it's just been, fits and starts the entire time where this was the first stretch that he had. No, Deion, no, Andre Hopkins there. Um, he, you know, got into that well into that 20% target share, although he wasn't that much higher than cooks and some others, as far as how they were playing there. But it, again, continued to be extremely efficient. Um, there's been a lot of talk with Deshaun Watson, as far as his on off splits, when it came to playing with Will Fuller, even with Deandre Hopkins there, there was a huge gap between having Fuller versus not having Fuller. Of course, a lot of that is, is noise and those sort of things. So, the, the, Fuller clearly is a guy that you would say, okay, I, I'm not going to, he's, he's not, he's, he's going to be in this complimentary sort of role, despite the fact that yeah. he's expanded a bit. It, uh, what do you see him bringing to a team and how would you prioritize someone like Will Fuller versus the other names that are, that are above him, presuming that you're going to get a little bit of a discount on him uh, versus those others? Is he worth the gamble for a team? 
if you're going to be paying him, you know, I don't know how much, how much here we have it down for 17 and a half million a year. And I think that's, that's a distinct possibility. If a team really feels like adding that piece is going to take them to the next level, let's say the green Bay Packers or someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love him in a complimentary role because but number one, Fuller was awesome last year from a reception perception standpoint. He's always been pretty good. Um, you know, his like raw numbers when you put them together from a success rate versus man or press or whatever, don't look as appealing as some guys because he runs so many downfield routes. Like he can, his overall success rates are going to be a little lower be, be, based, you know, as opposed to guys that are going to be running those more shallow patterns or whatever, because he's such that downfield threat, but given his role in that context of it, he's a he's such a good player. And last year, they threw him out basically as their from a usage standpoint, it was pretty close between him and cooks, but like Fuller was the guy they were lining up on the outside on the line of scrimmage, not really moving around deploying as that X receiver. And he thrived, you know, he had his best season against press. Um, he had his best season versus man coverage, uh, you know, using him more on shorter routes last year was big for that overall success rate. But also I just think he played extremely well last year. I think you can have a conversation that we won't really know the answer to about how much of that was the PED keeping him healthy or, you know, improving performance. I have, we really have no idea, but it's worth it noting prescription couple- drugs that he didn't, he didn't realize what was, well, yeah. that was, that they was, never him you know, like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They never, they never know. They never know. They never know. I never knew that was going to be a thing. So who knows with all that, but, keep in context that he's coming off his best year. I thought it was so awesome the way they would use Fuller and Hopkins. Like they're such a, they were such a great tandem because teams would choose, you know, I I think the effect of double coverage and like this guy's taking away the defensive attention is more. We talk about it more than it needs to be talked about from like a general public standpoint. The, the effect of double coverage really isn't all that like we, I, I, it kills me when, like in fantasy analysis when it's like, well, yeah, this is the only guy on the roster. Every They're just going to double him every time. Well, if you double him every time, you're going to be conceding. Like the other guys out there aren't, you know, cashiers at your local Ralph's. Like they're going to be right. able to do some stuff if you – and then whenever someone says like, well, he's triple teamed out there, you know they're just – pulling stuff out of nowhere like i think it just means when the ball lands there there are three defenders there are three guys or something like sometimes sometimes it means that other times uh you got some goofballs out there but whatever either way um yeah like they would really put defenses in a bind though because hopkins is a guy that you want to dedicate that extra attention to but then you're just leaving will fuller over there to rip you up in single coverage so that's why i would love to see him land with a team with that established alpha number one receiver, whether it is uh, the Green Bay Packers are obviously a perfect example because uh, I think he could do a ton of damage on the other side of a player like Devontae Adams. Yeah, you just got to hope that um, the drops, which he had more of an issue with in, in college, and he does now do not come back because then yeah. Rodgers will be staring lasers through, <laughs> through, through you don't want to become the new the new mvs as far as the wrath of of rogers there so but yeah, there I, is I, like I think, that there is an interesting part of that they had mvs and like will fuller is basically the souped up version three times over of mvs right like so if, if i mean i, I think mvs like Rod- is good you know even though yeah, he drops yeah, balls yeah. like he's open i mean he gets open right, right? so you know that i I'm think that's effective that, i think yeah. I'm not a guy that kills receivers for drops. So like that's part of my whole brand is like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care if you drop the ball that much, as long as you're adding value on your other, like MVS is the ultra extreme version of drops don't matter that much, which is like, yeah, uh, he's going to drop 
one in five of those deep targets but like what about the other four times right like those are going to win you games potentially so fuller is like the much more leveled out version of that where and it's true like he was a guy that gets killed for whenever he randomly drops a ball and like you know a couple college evaluators would be like see can't catch well he's been not dropping passes for most of his (laughs) career like just you could get to kind of disregard that uh college evaluation there yeah, yeah. I think he's definitely turned around showing the, the noise that's involved in a stat like that. So, okay, this is the other end of the spectrum. We've already, you already mentioned him a few times before. Juju Smith-Schuster is next on the list here. This is a tough one because the Steelers hinted, I believe, last offseason. They're basically like, nah, we don't, I mean, we're not going to, or, or they didn't come out and say it, but some beat reporters who were pretty plugged in, Basically said they don't view Juju Smith-Schuster as a you know as a wide receiver one as a guy a special guy as someone you need to prioritize resigning despite the fact that at that point he had been um, well and he had that tough he had a tough year obviously but you could have written yeah. off a lot of what happened in 2019 because of the quarterback situation but the first two years in the league it really not astronomical but extremely high production and. Fairly, fairly efficient production, despite the fact that he was going out of the slot because he was breaking off big plays out of, out of the slot, a lot of run after catch. Um, things have come down to earth. I think a lot of the league probably views him closer to what we talked about as far as not necessarily being that wide receiver one guy. But he does have that, that history of being a highly productive receiver in the past. So I don't know. Do you think someone is going to get, I don't want to say tricked into, into spending a lot of money on him, but how, how do you think teams are going to look at that, that, that peak? And are, is that an alluring sort of peak, or would you just write that off and say, he's, you know, he's just not really going to get back there in 99% of the circumstances where, we can, where, where he can be if you're going to bring him into a system where everything isn't set up perfectly for him? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't like to take uh, victory laps on like when my negative takes are, are right. But like th- I viewed Juju like that from the moment he hit the field as a rookie. And especially after that 2018 season, that was like, you, you know, you dynasty folks are, are super psyched about like his age and, and uh, production or whatever, but yeah, he's not an alpha receiver. He was not playing like basically the role that he was playing versus what Antonio Brown was playing in, in those Steelers offense, it like might as well be two different positions because like you said, how much he runs out of the slot, how up and he goes against zone coverage. Um, that's not to say that he's a bad player. Cause I actually think he would bring, he's sort of a, a discounted version of, of Chris Godwin, where I think he would bring value to almost any team that has a hole at that slot receiver spot. Like I'd rather have Juju Smith Schuster as my slot receiver than you know, insert name of uh, gritty coach's uh, son, locker room lunch pail guy, right? Like uh, from the fifth right. round or something that you find. So like Juju brings that discounted version of Godwin, that weaponry, uh, that like super souped up slot receiver that I want on on my team, right? So if you value him as that player, uh, I, I think you can get a lot out of him. I think the Steelers are looking at it as, okay, well, we have Deontay Johnson, who I'm a big fan of, Chase Claypool. I really like Chase Claypool. Like, they could be sort of, um, you know, a, Deon, uh, a Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf sort of combination, right? The physical outside freak and then move Deontay more from like, hey, we're going to just throw him two, two yard slants and let him get slaughtered over the middle and he'll drop most of those targets. <laughs> uh, so like move him into more of like a, a, a complete role and get him into intermediate and, and deeper patterns. I think there's some potential there for those two to be a really good 
tandem, do we really need to pay Juju $20 million in the meantime? Probably not. Uh, but I think some team can view him as their number two receiver uh, and, and line him up and deploy him in the right ways. And he would be really successful. So never thought he was going to develop into that type of player. I don't think he has developed into that number one style receiver, but it, it would, I could see a team go like just looking at the production and being like, God, we really need a wide receiver uh, on this team. Like, for example, the Jets, right? Like they, there's been some talk about, is Juju going to be a Jet? Uh, you know, it, it, he's been sort of rumored to them. That would be a spot. It's like, I don't really want, you know, that's not really what I want. You know, they have Denzel Mims as an outside guy, but I would rather see him with, um, you know, a proven number one that can function and win outside, especially on deep patterns. You know, Juju has never been a guy like, um, whereas on Chris Godwin, on the other hand, I think he can win downfield routes from the slot and a little bit outside. Juju can't do that. That's not his thing. So I would love to see him with the right type of compliment, but I agree. It, it would be on my radar if I'm invested in him uh, in any way that it would be on my radar that he could end up being, you know, sort of, pushed into a role that he should not be based on a team's expectation. Yeah. And I mean, something I probably didn't appreciate enough at the time, even though he had some of these bigger plays because of the run after catch. So that's how he was accumulating some of the stats, but the Steelers just threw the ball a ton back in his first couple of mm-hmm. seasons. So his target share was never like astronomical. I mean, it was good. He had, he had it in the low twenties in his, in his uh, second season. So that's how he got there, but he wasn't getting to these numbers by, by having a 25% plus tar- target share or something like that. And then it was 20 last season, 20 ish last season, which isn't bad, but the efficiency was really, really not there. And I guess you could, you could even say, well, last year, the Ben Roethlisberger was the problem. So not that yeah. he's not, you know, duck Hodges, but it, ben Roethlisberger was a problem, though. But the issue then is if you if you line him up next to the efficiency we saw from uh, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, even James Washington. I mean, he still was the he still was last as far as what he was producing on a, on yeah. a per route basis. So it it goes beyond it goes beyond the quarterback play. I think it's safe to say at this point. In addition, with the smart observers like yourself who. Uh, stuck stuck with it through the the victory laps that were being <laughs> that were being put on with, with Juju Smith Schuster, but he's got I mean he, he's he's been he's been good right for for where you thought he yeah. would, where you thought he could have ended up. It's not like he's a he's a failure there, but he doesn't have that the peak. He doesn't have the ceiling that that you would have hoped from uh, the perspective of just looking at the numbers, just saying he was a young receiver, just saying this is what he did his first two years in the league. If you didn't have the additional context around there, that's how you could get fooled into into thinking he's one type of receiver versus another. PFF in Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Um, okay, so Corey Davis is next. The more I looked into Corey Davis, the more, the more I looked into this, the more I kind of like Corey Davis, honestly. Because, mm-hmm. uh, again, I don't know what he's going to sign for, though. So this is – he's someone who I think – maybe will go for less than what some other people are thinking. I just don't know how solid that 
draft pedigree is because I was shocked when he went at number five overall, not because I didn't think he was a great wide receiver, but because he went to a smaller school. He was a senior. He played all four years. That means if you don't come out as as a junior, then you're probably not like a top prospect most of the time. Uh, He had a foot injury, so there's no combine. There was no anything else. Yeah. Yeah, there's never tested. And then boom, number five overall. It was a little it was a little bit shocking. But I don't I don't think people view him in as being uh like a Sammy Watkins top top type of top five where even if there's shaky production, teams were willing to continue to throw draft picks out to bring him on, on the team because of how they perceived him. But maybe I'm wrong there. I mean I think you were fairly high on Davis coming out, but I'm just not sure how teams are viewing him. But I'm starting to get excited for him as being someone, if you can get him cheaper, he may have the, the best potential of this class for someone you don't have to pay $20 million a year for, but maybe has that $20 million a year type of player for me. Yeah, Davis is, is fascinating because I agree with you. It was shocking to see him go that high. And I did like him coming out. Ironically, uh, I actually kind of likened his game to – younger Sammy Watkins uh, when he was okay, coming yeah. out. Right. And, and which, since then Watkins is not the player that he, like this was after Watkins, uh, you know, 2015 season where it's like, ah, yeah. All right. So it's going to work out. Right. Uh, since then, right. clearly not as much, but um, I thought you could deploy them in sort of similar ways. Uh, it, it's not worked out for Watkins. It hasn't really worked out in that fashion for Davis either, but I agree that if you just remove where he was drafted and look at his career, it's like, all right, he's been a solid contributing wide receiver he's been a solid starting number two level nfl wide receivers he was stuck in those miserable mariota offenses in tennessee um i don't hold that too much against him then like when things start to actually pop with ryan Tannehill and he's healthy this year you know arthur smith really dialing things up well as the offensive coordinator he has a good season as i think the clear second fiddle to Corey david i mean to uh, aj brown like Corey Davis was still pretty productive, uh, you know, and used well with and without uh, AJ Brown. But I think from just a talent level perspective, I think Brown, like ironically, when you watch them, you know, and, and like judge them on their own individual basis, you would think, man, AJ Brown was the guy drafted fifth overall. And Corey Davis is that like rugged college receiver that was taken in the second round. They've really flipped that script to where they've been at the pro level. But yeah, I always thought that people were too low on Corey Davis after his first couple of seasons in the NFL. Um, And then obviously 2019, he wasn't healthy and things really kind of fell apart then, but he's a player that I think could be a starting complimentary receiver, basically anywhere. So um, he's a player that I wouldn't view him as a number one, wouldn't throw a bunch of money at him, but definitely if you're like a receiver needy team and you already have some established guys, he would make your team better as a solid player. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you never really know how much is noise when you have these splits, but he did perform a lot better with A.J. Brown on the field at the same time, which was a little bit strange. I thought maybe it might have been the other way around, but when I looked into it more, he was a lot more efficient. He had played a lot better. I mean, I think the passing game was just working. The offense was just working better when, when Brown came in there. Uh, what he hasn't been and what has enabled Brown to thrive in that offense is – uh, like just being a yak guy, just creating yeah. a lot of stuff after the catch. So I do wonder if there's a possibility that the system fit maybe wasn't as good, even with Tannehill there, even though you're getting the, the, the high-end play from Tannehill and you got some good efficiency from uh, Davis this last year. Maybe there's some outside chance that, that it wasn't a good system fit there. So if he was some, someplace else, there could be, there could be some upside. So we'll, we'll see about that. Um, okay, now that we've gone through these guys, maybe at this point I'll just say 
there's a pretty big drop, I would say, for what the contracts for the rest of the for the rest of the players that we're having here. So maybe I'll throw out a couple of categories. You can tell me names that you would want to fit into this. Um, so one would be a guy that you can get. Now this is really going to be a guy that you can get on the cheap who can break out with with a new team. I, I'm not putting Corey Davis in that just because I feel like he's had close enough to, to, to being on that level, and I don't think he'll be viewed on the same level. Is there anyone else when you look through these names and you say, this is someone who can really – who could really be that mid-tier signing or, or lower-tier signing that can have a huge impact of the other available free agents. Oh, yeah, that's definitely uh, Curtis Samuel. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, we knew we were going to go there. I might as well have just, just introed it, but go ahead. Yeah, right. But, like, the thing with Samuel is he was better from a production standpoint last year because um, they move. This is sort of like you can ga- kind of galaxy brain a, a take where – maybe Joe Brady actually didn't do such a great job at deploying these wide receivers, because I actually think that if you had moved Curtis Samuel into the role that they had DJ Moore in last year and moved DJ Moore into the role that Curtis Samuel was in last year, I actually think you get like both of those guys were good last year, but I actually think if you would get the optimal version of those players, if you reverse the roles, because Moore is such a good yak player, right? He, he's so good at that dirty work over the middle of the field. I really want Samuel being more of the outside guy that's winning vertically for you. You know, he was like from a route by route basis doing that really well in 2019, but he's running more go routes than any other receiver in the NFL while uh, having Kyle Allen as his quarterback. And Kyle Allen is not pushing the ball down the field. Teddy Bridgewater, not really pushing the ball down the field either that much. So I am very actually curious to see what Samuel would look like on a different team with a different role as more of that starting flanker receiver. I don't think he's a number one, but I think he's a guy that could be sort of Calvin Ridley light where Ridley's that guy who's going to win as your flanker move around, but is a, is a vertical asset. I actually think that, you know, if you're looking at receivers from an archetype standpoint, I think you look at the Antonio Brown, Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley archetype of high end separators that are you know going to play that outside position and win at all levels of the field. I think that's more of the group that Samuel fits in and not this like gadget hybrid player. He can definitely do that, but I probably don't really want him running, you know, carries out of the backfield. They had to do a lot of that as an emergency thing with uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey out last year. But I would much prefer to see him in more of a traditional wide receiver role um, than doing a lot of that gadget stuff. But at the same time, he was still doing – he's still winning on a route – he's a guy I obviously got to uh, before this podcast for sure. Uh, he was still winning you know, on a route-by-route route basis and reception perception at a really high level when he was going against man or, or, or press. But, yeah, I, I just – I think he's a fascinating player that could really find himself into a high-end starting wide receiver role. Um, he's just not a, a, as much of a bankable asset as all of these other players that we've talked about so far. But when you look after the, the that Juju, Will Fuller tier break and you're starting to look at Corey Davis or Curtis Samuel, I think he's right there as that next sort of player. Well, okay, so I have been a little more skeptical of – Samuel only because because I lean into these like rules probably like heuristics a little bit too too much when it comes to <laughs> receivers and one of them is like just don't take offensive weapons <laughs> it's kind of yeah, totally. one of my it's kind of one of my rules and it's not I mean there isn't a long there isn't a long like track record of guys who who have been in there but there are some where 
I guess when they're when they're not playing like a traditional receiver position in college, there hasn't been as much success in the NFL. But like I said, it's, it's not a lot. Like like if you want to say like Tavon Austin or uh, when Patterson was was drafted really highly, or I mean Sammy Watkins to a degree because he was getting a lot of of screen passes and other stuff, but not really not really like those other guys. Uh, and then we have Paris Campbell who's come out after that. Who's again? I feel like all of these guys are guys where. Well, not all of them, because I don't know about Tavon Austin, because I don't, I don't know who was, how he was being viewed back then. But, so, but, but for Campbell and for uh, Samuel, to a different degree, a lot of people have looked at him and says, man, these guys can really perform when they're asked to do this thing, but then they're not asked to do this thing. So how do we ever take a step back and say, if, if they're not asked to do this thing, like, is that a signal in itself? That they're not being asked to do this thing this much, despite the fact that we think that they're doing well when, when, when asked to do this thing. Yeah, I, I totally think that's fair because but there, there's also like I would argue that Tyreek Hill is the inverse of that. Where you know when right. he was, I could, Tyreek Hill's the big hit. Tyreek Hill's the big hit of a guy that really fit that offensive weapon mold yeah. and just blew up. Obviously, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't mention him. I should have mentioned him as being as being a guy where I would have made that same argument about him after after yeah. his first year that he's probably going to regress. And then obviously that was a big you know he just went took it to the next level. Yeah, you know, like reception perception is obviously tied to these guys that, you know, that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, whether it's um, Robinson and Godwin, I've shoehorned digs in a hundred times. Maybe I'm just trying to pat myself on the back here. But like, <laughs> you know, one of the one of my prouder and it's just sucks. That it's with Tyree Kill and, you know, there's all the, 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 the baggage there. Yeah. It's like there's a guy that, um, you, you know, was was <laughs> he was a guy that in, during his rookie year was used in that gadget type of way. I mean, you know, it was just like, ah, oh, is this Tavon Austin, Cordero Patterson? But no, if you look at like from a reception perception standpoint, he's winning on his routes at a level of like a really, really good NFL receiver. And he's obviously developed on beyond that. Um, I think Samuel fits into that category. Like when you, you know, cause I've put, I've suffered through Cordero Patterson in, in reception perception. That's a rough, uh, <laughs> those first couple of years were rough when they were trying to use him as like a traditional receiver. Um, I, so I, I think that, I'm hoping that, you know, Samuel follows that same sort of uh, trajectory, but it is a guess. I would argue that he was used as a traditional wide receiver last in 2019. Um, You know, he had really high like air yard per target mark, really high uh, a dot, you know, was getting a ton of air yards, but wasn't converting on those, I think. And I think that's mostly when you go back and look at it due to the quarterback play, like in a universe where Curtis Samuel in 2019 played with a fully, you know, healthy Cam Newton as this downfield receiver, I think we'd view Samuel much differently than we do now. But it is a guess and it is an unknown. And I think you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, so if he was to go someplace, it sounds like you, you know, you would want him to have more of that traditional wide receiver role. Because I have heard some people say, like, oh, what if um, – Although I don't know how it works with LaVisca Chenault in this in this circumstance, since he's kind of a similar player. But some of people are like, oh, now you know Urban Myers in uh, in Jacksonville. Why don't they bring him in there and then just you know use him like they would use him at Ohio yeah. State or something like that? It, it, does that is that something that you're you're scared that that's gonna that that's where he's going to be pigeonholed um, on his next team? Yeah, I would ha- I would hate that because. Like I said, I think that the Panthers' offense, as as good as it was, I think there's a universe where they could have been better served to you. And this sounds stupid mm-hmm. for me to say this because I'm some goofball in his home office, and Joe Brady's a really accomplished NFL offensive coach. So, yeah, I, I say this with all the self awareness. But I think that the Panthers' offense could have been 
maybe better served if they had flipped those receiver roles around and like had more doing some of that stuff. Not that like Moore is a guy that deserves a ton of credit for getting better uh, every single year, even if he wasn't quite the fantasy commodity that folks thought he'd be last year. Um, I think he showed a lot as a downfield receiver. I think um, I would love to see Samuel in more of that uh, traditional wide receiver role. Like, sure. Absolutely. Make use of him uh, in open space and all that stuff. But um, I didn't think he was like, I think Moore is the better open field space receiver on that team last year. I would have liked to see him, you know, even at some points they have Robbie Anderson running those like crossers. They were trying to hit a big play on that all freaking year and then yeah. they hit one against the Vikings finally I'm like they've, they've been trying to hit that 44 yard touchdown he just had all season uh with Robbie Anderson finally works um I don't know it's 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 uh I I would I would be happy for Samuel if he hits anywhere but there is like a way that I would like it to happen I guess more so than others yeah yeah it's funny because there you know Panthers Twitter is actually decently representative it's like they, they represent pretty well and i would say that of the guys who who are you know who are who are who are grinding the the pan and panthers twitter there does seem to be this anti dj Moore um sentiment yeah vis-a-vis vis-a-vis samuel um but it hasn't you know gone on with the coaching because i was thinking about i think you josh norris i'm not sure if steven ruiz is maybe maybe in that category too um the one guy that like the communist guy who was uh, who was doing, used to do real Twitter. Guy's kind of a my dick, good, but he would say he Scott, would say yeah, that he's probably he's probably activated and deactivated at least a few times during this podcast. Yeah, yeah. so he, he he you know he was of course I think he also thought Cam Newton was like the greatest quarterback ever, but uh, but he you know he, he was on that train too. So it's kind of weird how that really aligned with a lot of people watching it, but then it hadn't hadn't necessarily gone on. Uh, in his career so far, but you know he's young. There's plenty, plenty of time to go here. Okay, so the the last category I want to hit before before I let you out of here because I'm I'm keeping you a little bit long is let's look at the olds here. So we got we got some olds in this category. Yeah. You <laughs> expertly predicted AJ Green's demise the last time when I had you on my old podcast where it was uh, I guess a couple off seasons ago and AJ Green hadn't played. Um, but but you were saying the last time you had watched him, you noticed a decline there in his numbers. So he was someone to have on the radar, and then he came back this year. And whoa, <laughs> whoa! Yeah. Let me tell you, inefficiency. <laughs> I've never seen inefficiency like him, especially because of the fact that I drafted him and I was putting him. I was like, <laughs> I was actually putting him out there and starting him, being like, oh well, this this fifty percent target share has got to produce something eventually, and it just yeah, right. it just really never did. Um, so Green's in the mix here. So I, I don't know if he if he's gotten any better, but let's. I think we can even throw guys like even Sammy Watkins is not that old but maybe if you if you have any opinions on on Green, TY Hilton, Marvin Jones, uh Sammy Watkins, you know, I don't know if you want to you don't need to get into every single one of these guys of course, but just who may pop for you, Danny Amendola. Um is there anyone amongst that where you'd say the the prevailing opinion on them which is going to be strong because they all have long track records, long histories um, in the league. Is there anywhere where the prevailing opinion on them you think may be too high, too low, ones you would definitely fade or you would target amongst that group? What about like Antonio Brown? Does he fit into this? Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, Antonio Brown fits fits in as, as being an old. I guess in my head he's coming back to Tampa Bay no matter what, but I I, I think I think he does fit in that in that group and he graded well for us at least. They would be I mean is there a universe where both Godwin and Brown are back there? I don't know. You know, when, when they, when they, when the, the word was, they already said 
there was some positive words. I don't remember who said it about Antonio Brown coming back. And the interpretation of that was, well, maybe Godwin won't come back then because of the fact that they have all these other players who need to be re-upped. Yeah, it feels like it's tough to read anything out of Tampa right now because they might still be hammered from that boat parade, uh, which looked like <laughs> everyone's one coming back. Like, yeah, right oh, when yeah, you went Bruce to Champions, like, is, we're all coming back. Yeah. He's yeah. like six to eight Michelobes deep at that point, like just slinging him back, being like, "You're you're coming back, you're coming back, you're coming." Yeah, and so, yeah. but they have a lot of questions to answer beyond yeah. just A, B, and Godwin. Like I said earlier, they got Shaq Barrett, they've got Levante David, they've got Indomitian Sue, they got Gronk, yeah, um, uh, Lombardi Lenny. They've got to figure out what to do with a lot of these guys. So they okay, have a well, lot. Maybe of, that that's like, yeah, 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 crazy might be, about, about. I might be pushing one, yeah. it there. Yeah, but so uh, like they've got they've got questions to answer though, and you know they are they're pretty well off in terms of cap space, but uh, eventually those things start stacking up. So it's worth, and then of course they've got all these secondary guys that are on cheap rookie deals because they've drafted so many of those players. So eventually those the bill's going to come due on those players as well too. So they've got a lot to think about. Like I don't know if there's a universe where Godwin and AB. Are back now. If Godwin ends up leaving, I think yeah, you re-sign Brown and you run this thing back because he was he was really good last year. You know, I, I came into this year, um, and again, I don't love talking about talking flowers about Antonio Brown. It doesn't make me feel good on the inside, but at the same time, you know, he was elite of the elite number one type of player in reception perception every single year basically from 2014 when the series started to when he um you know went off the deep end from in 2018 uh we have no data on him from 2019 obviously but yeah and i was kind of coming into this year with, with basically just you know eyes wide open. I don't know what he's going to look like. He was definitely used on a lot of short, quick hitters, you know, screens and stuff like that. He had a really low a dot. Um, I think a lot of that was just because, you know, the first, like if you watch that saints game, um, that when they got destroyed, his first game out there, you know, Brady's like talking to him before the snap, like, you got to run this, you got to run this, you got to run. This. And like, you know, it's clearly just a detriment to the offense. Part of the reason probably that I think they got slaughtered in that game, but maybe to get him more quick hitters and layups and stuff like that, they, they started to use him on more of those screens. But I think when you watch him throughout the season, route by route, he was still really good. So if he doesn't come back to Tampa Bay, you know, some and some team feels like okay bringing him on. He could surprise in a way that it's like, oh, this is maybe not old AB, but like, you know, not not too far off. So he's interesting to talk about. I think of like the rest of the, you know, non Antonio Brown olds. I am interested in in Ty Hilton. Like, I, I, I okay, yeah, because he's he's rated pretty. I mean, he's not rated highly on our rankings, but he was higher than I, than I thought for the fact that. Philip Rivers seemed to have a pretty good season, but T.Y. Hilton did not have a great season, but they may not be a good a good fit. And all those things yeah. kind of come together, right? Yeah, I think if you miss out on Fuller and Samuel and potentially some of these downfield guys, I think if you're a veteran team, you could look at Hilton as maybe still having something left. Um, I'm not, I don't have like a strong opinion on that. Um, I've never been like, the, you know, I think T.Y. Hilton gets grouped into that uh, archetype that I was talking about earlier of the Browns, Rid, uh, Diggs, Ridley, you know, John Brown type of guys. I, I never have th- thought of him well, as John the Brown same for type. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never thought of him as that, like, same type of consistent separator. Um, Hilton is not that, that, that route runner, not that type of guy to me. But I think from a vertical perspective, he's always been really good. 
So I, I, he would be the one that I'd be like curious. The rest of these guys though, I'm, I'm kind of out on the Sammy Watkins thing. I've always thought he was like basically an overrated player from um, 2016 on AJ green. No, thanks. Larry Fitzgerald. Definitely. No, thanks. Um, He's got to retire. Right. Come on. Marvin Jones is Marvin Jones is interesting. If he lands in the right spot Um, there, there's like all of these guys, you know, we typically be talking about Marvin Jones is like the third best receiver in any free agent market. It's just crazy that he's like maybe a potential afterthought here. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's talk of him potentially going to LA to play with, uh, play with yeah. Stafford and play with the Rams. Uh, so they're going to need someone to bring in uh, with Josh Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds going out. So that that'll that'll be interesting. Well, this was this was thorough. I appreciate it. It was good that, that I could go. I didn't even mention Rashard Higgins the whole podcast. It's another guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, time well, you know Higgins truther. was always an interesting guy from for for you because I remember specifically when he came out that you you were thinking, hey, if this guy's like you were pretty confident that he was going to be successful. And I think for a six round pick, I want to say fifth, um, sixth, something like that. Yeah. I think for six round pick, he's been very, very successful. So maybe but we could talk about that real quick before going. So, um, so how do you think he has performed at the NFL level? Cause I know you were very high on him. So is this, is this good enough of a result for a six, for a six round pick, a guy you were high on, or is there still something about his game that maybe you, you incorporate into your process and thinking, well, maybe there was something that, that I could have missed for a, even a higher end outcome. So he's not a guy four years into his career who's the, you know, the, the, the 10th biggest free agent, potential free agent <laughs> signing there, which, again, just to make a second contract is, a, is an accomplishment uh, for, for a wide receiver uh, who's drafted in that range. Yeah. This is how you can tell we've been following each other for too long, you know, that, that it's like, oh, I remember your old Richard Higgins takes. Uh, but Higgins yeah. is an interesting one where it's like, we've been doing this too long. Um, Higgins is interesting because uh, I, I remember Higgins specifically because um, this was back when I was doing college prospect charting, um, which I haven't done for the last two draft classes, but I'll tease this. Uh, I, don't, I haven't made any public statements about this. I might be doing that again this oh, wow. year. Uh, so that'll exclusive. be fun. Exclusive here. Uh, yeah, this is an exclusive. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It is an exclusive. <laughs> we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of reception perception news coming up that I have not, I'm, I cannot share yet, but uh, I'll give that a little, just another little tease here right before we leave the All show. Right. For Yeah. For everyone that didn't like hear like, oh, they're starting to wrap it down. Let me close out the pod. Um, <laughs> Higgins uh. is interesting though, because like he was great from a reception perception perception standpoint in college i'm not and never have been as confident projecting like okay this guy's good in reception perception in college i think he's definitely going to be a good pro as as i'm very confident that if a guy's good in the nfl in this metric he's going to eventually find some level of success higgins has found some level of success but like i remember back in the day um you know zach whitman was doing the three sigma athlete stuff and it was like basically Higgins fell at an athletic testing level that it's like no one has ever been successful at this. And I'm like, man, but if anybody is going to be successful, it would be this guy that is an ultra elite technician, does everything really well. And maybe being like a hideously poor testing athlete and a really good technician just can, in the best case, get you what Higgins has been, which I think Higgins has been a really good asset for the Browns when they've actually used him. And Baker seems to really like him. And like, we always talk about Tom Brady and Antonio Brown living together. Apparently like, you know, Baker's fiance is like, well, when's Hollywood Higgins moving in with us? You guys are around each other all the time. So like, I actually hope he just returns to Cleveland uh, and doesn't like test the open market or anything like that. Cause he seems to have a good communication going on with, uh, with, with 
with Baker, but we'll see. I, I still think that he can be a solid, like number three part of a rotation receiver. Um, and, but yeah, I, I would, t- I'm like, I thought he was going to completely wash out of the league after the first couple of years. So I'm like, all right, I'm not pushing for anything else. I'll take what I can get uh, that he's, that he's managed to, like you said, make it to a second contract here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it could be interesting for him to go somewhere else if only because, I mean, you mentioned the, the, the testing stuff and he's not a similar player to, to Landry, but they're both on like, if you're going to look at a distribution, they're both like at yeah. the bottom of any sort of athletic testing distribution. So running both yep. of those guys out there at the same time, I think was something the Browns were kind of loath to do that, um, to say we're going to have two, you know, like four, seven guys out there on, on the field. Not a our, lot of juice. Our, yeah. Uh, ironically. Yes. Um, ironically. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, so uh, thank you so much, Matt, for being here. More reception perception. You heard it here first. Uh, stuff coming this this off season. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, so still Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Is that right? Yeah, still rocking that underscore BYB like a like a you know ill fated ex's ta- name tattooed on me or something. You know, can't get rid of it. Got to keep the brand. Got to keep the brand up. Uh, yeah. Follow him there. See all the stuff he's doing it at Yahoo and. Uh, tune in next week as we continue to get through free agency. I'll be looking at some other positions, maybe get into the trenches next week a little bit, and where I'm really going to need to have someone in here who, who knows what they're talk, talking about here. It says, I have the expert here. Now in wide receivers, I'll need another expert to guide me through. So, uh, But again, thanks, Matt, for joining me. Appreciate it, man. Thanks.